You might have a mom, she might be the bomb But ain't nobody got a mom like mine Her love's till the end, she's my best friend Ain't nobody got a mom like mine Welcome to Teaching My Mother ABA, where we put a unique spin on teaching ABA by using pop cultural references and real life scenarios. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the shit show we call life. Okay, <laughs> so um, today's quote is, God knows I couldn't love them more, but even the Kennedys didn't get together this often. <laughs> so we are, we are finishing up what seems like a um, summer of being together, which is great. I'm thankful that I get to be with my... We're making up for the COVID summer uh-huh. where nobody so, could see each other. Yeah, but I feel like we're together all the time. And then because we work remotely um, as a company, but Kelly, don't you feel like we see each other a lot more than... <laughs> I do. <laughs> Ellie's like, no, I want to see everybody more. <laughs> I, uh, it's this weird balance of feeling like I get to see everybody all the time, which is fantastic. And also at the same time, feel like I don't get to see anybody or have regular human interaction because I am, uh, working remotely in my office. And I think, I actually think it's that like day to day, like just random small talk. Cause when we have meetings, it's yeah. usually very pointed conversation about like, Oh, this is what we're talking about during this meeting. And this is what we're doing instead of that, like, oh, hey, Britt, what are you doing today? We're like after school or after work. But we have a joke. I don't know if Kelly's in on my joke or not. I have a joke that if we we bring anything up to Kelly, we have to be prepared to have a meeting about it. She's going to want to meet and discuss, meet and discuss. And it's the social part of it. Like, I think Kelly's right, though, because... I think you're one of the only ones. Well, Alicia's in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a group. Like, we have some hubs where yeah. people can still, like, see each other even though we are um, a remote company. And we do. I think that's the hard balance of when you do have a company that's entirely remote is how you build those relationships, which is what we're trying. Yeah. And, and I like the efforts that we've been making have been really good. Um, but it's still that getting used to it. And you're right, Bert. Like I always, um, whenever you bring something up, I'm like, okay, let's talk about this because normally like if you send an email with a question in it, like normally if you're in the office asking that question, there'd probably be like a five minute conversation about it versus just the question where I'm like, okay, well, let's think about it. So this is why Kelly is a good balance because I'm like, let's just have an email chain about it. And then Mm. Kelly's like, let's meet about it. Well, and we, I, it would be interesting to see what other companies that are 100% remote do to build that. So or if they don't think it's important too, because they're remote. Because yeah. we do office hours, which we've started, which I think is a really good thing where we're just on. And there's no agenda. There's nothing but yep. you can just hop on and work at the same time as other people are working in our Google Meets, which is nice. I'm like, I try not to get on as much because I am the worst at keeping on task. I'll start talking about. Brandon, I agree with that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I do know other companies. So um, 
like, so Joy Pollard is one of the really good ones in telehealth. She does a lot of advocacy for it. And I know her company, they use a program that is set up like it looks like an office, like oh, an sure. avatar office. And then you can, you have your common room office and then you can go into different rooms sure. um, if you need to. Oh, that's pretty neat. You can put yourself in your own office room and people can knock on your door. Um, that's so you're cool. still there. Yeah, but you're available. I like that because I feel like there are sometimes where I'm like, oh, let's do a peer review and like let's just show up on office hours and kind of work through it during office hours. But then if there's yeah. five, ten people there, then that could be way too distracting to have that conversation. So going into your own little office private meeting would be yeah, absolutely like beneficial. Yeah, and, and I also feel like everyone says that they want to work remote or work from home because it's like. You know, like when you think of, especially when you have younger kids, oh, this will be the dream. Like I'll work from home. My kids will be with me. Yeah. Everything will be great. Is that really how it is with young kids? <laughs> I would say, I feel like we should have, Britt, how is it for you? Because you had Huey home for a I've long had time. Him a year and a half, I think I had him home for uh-huh. before I sent him back to, um, so here's the thing. <laughs> Huey is his own monster. <laughs> So Cash grew up with me in school and he knew like when I was on the computer, I was doing schoolwork or work and he, he just kind of knew what was going on and he grew up in that environment. Huey grew up, well, in the same environment, not really. So he grew up in COVID pretty much. Um, so he was, he wasn't born during COVID, but he was one during COVID. And so he had us home a lot more, both of us, because even Dustin, he had to work, but he was home more. Whereas with Cash, Dustin wasn't home as much. Um, so Huey doesn't understand. Huey understands that as soon as I start talking, he starts screaming. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, yes. As is that as attention maintained? Screaming, yes, it is so attention <laughs> made. And he is both negative and positive attention maintained. Uh, so it's not easy at all. Um, as they get older, though, I think it does get a little bit easier. Like Cash, I can give him an art project mm-hmm. when he's home. So he doesn't go to the summer care as often as Huey does um, because Cash can be home with me and do art projects and and things like that. And I can do that in parallel while working. Whereas Huey needs to be like physically attended to at all times. (laughs) And I feel like, so Madison's about the same age as Huey. I think she's, it was like six months younger than him maybe. Um, And I feel like she's, she'll make art projects on my walls if I, or my chairs or (laughs) whatever she has the opportunity to, if I let her at this age and stage, but that is one thing that I was thinking of recently. I was like, that, like it'd be nice to have this art project, especially on days like, you know, when you're in COVID quarantine and have both kids home or <laughs> things like that, that you're kind of trying to um, multitask well, while you're working. Yeah. And when quarantine came, like everyone is like, oh, there's these awesome things. Get a quarantine bucket. Get these different things. You have to maintain and that. You do. <laughs> but I was doing that already with cash. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just so funny that I had lived in a world of remote working for I think five years before COVID yeah. happened. And now people are like, Oh, this is an amazing thing. I just thought of, but there's a, was that pocket of us who were already working remote and yeah. already surviving and, and remote changed. Yeah. Well, for sure. Because I worked remote too. And no one ever checked in on me every hour to see how my feelings were. If I felt like I was alone, whatever, because 
I had worked remote and I, I enjoy it. I also feel like there's still a harder balance when you are remote. It just, that's just life. And I don't think people completely understand that, you know, I'm lucky because I'm older, first of all. Well, I have my grandkids all the time, which we just discussed that. Ju- yeah, we'll discuss that. Um, but I have like an office I can go to. Some people don't have that luxury to have a space where they can go and be at work versus at home. And I don't work outside of my office, which that's how I'm successful. At Britt's house, though, it's a free for all. You're every you work everywhere at the table. And that works better Call for her. Mobile working. Yeah, because she has I mean, it's easier for her because she has younger ones, obviously. And when I have my grandkids, it doesn't work as well. Hattie does a lot of art projects like Madison. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> uh, thank goodness for magic erasers. Oh my gosh. I mean, I think that also goes with our theme of we're always together is Mm -hmm. I, so I did try to keep Huey home as much as I could. And I think, I don't Mm. think I had a, finally had a complete breakdown, um, which let me just tell you, I am so tired of social media and people on social media talking about these nervous breakdowns, air quotes that aren't really nervous breakdowns. Mm. If you can shower and TikTok yourself having a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Guess what, y'all? It's not a nervous breakdown. So it might be a precursor. It might be. I don't know, <laughs> but it is not. If you can function and t- tape yourself doing something, it's not a real nervous breakdown. Anyway, so having you home for a year and a half probably led to my my dark time that I had earlier this year with my nervous breakdown. So it's hard. keep your kids at daycare is, I think, the, <laughs> I was saying, the, and the reason why I, I uh, called you out with Huey, just because I know that you had him way longer than I, I could have yeah. 18 months with Maddie. I was like, girl, I love you, but I need you to have somewhere that you can yeah, go, that you're going to get the attention that you deserve because you're not getting it with me. And then no, with him, so- yeah, him, my goal was six months and that was right. The perfect, perfect expectation yeah. because he, he started at seven yeah. Yeah. My goal with cash was six months because I was a freak and I'm like, he has to start school. He has to start all of this so he doesn't get behind in anything. And Huey, I'm like, he could probably go out and start his own fire and roast some marshmallows by himself because <laughs> he's more self-sufficient. So that's what happened with mine too, was I made time for cash. Like we had strict net sessions with cash. Like he had a play corner that was super tidy. Like on point in my one office and we would work on his verbal behavior during that time. And I specifically set time for that. Huey, not so much, <laughs> not, not so much. Like I said, he could probably make his own easy Mac though. Hey, that's good. I always laugh because I talk about the um, first child versus second child expectations. I know everyone says that, but I was like, no, I think I'll be very, very consistent with mine. Not at all. My like, no, not at all. First child, I bring a pack and play when we travel. She'd sleep in like comfort and luxury everywhere. And now I throw a blanket on the floor and he sleeps on the ground when we travel. I'm like, yeah, it's simpler. It takes up less space. It's easier. Uh, kind of like whatever, whatever we can do. The best part oh is God. no one can tell you that either. Like, no, you, just, you have to figure it out. As, like yeah. as a parent and you have your children raising their children and they're like, oh, I'm going to only use glass bottles and cloth diapers. And I'm like, you just have to sit back and be like, nope, that's not how that's probably going to, I, 
I didn't do the cloth diapers with cash. I did the glass bottles, though, until I got one chucked at my head and decided <laughs> that for kidney safety, we should not use glass bottles with the second child. But we also make bottles. Yeah. I think my favorite my favorite thought that I would say, like, as a parent, I wouldn't do is have that messy car with food all over. And then I take a road trip and I'm like, whatever's going to keep them quiet and let me keep driving. So I just hand back snacks and I look at my car and I'm like, oh, this is kind of embarrassing. Okay. So why was Madison in the third row of your vehicle on your last trip? <laughs> well, she first ended up there because we had a friend in town and Madison really wanted to sit in the third row. And so it was like, oh, this is great because we're about to travel with two dogs, two kids, and two adults and for 14 hours each direction. So I was like, okay, this sounds fantastic. We'll have Madison in the back. We'll have a seat for the dog, one of the dogs, and the other dog can sit on the floor or something like that. Well, the big dog, Charlie, our golden doodle, who's a, kind of a, I don't know, goober is probably the best word to describe her. Charlie was truly your and Jeremy's first child. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Charlie kept looking at Madison wrong. And then Madison was having meltdowns. So then we ended up having to put the second row all the way up so that Charlie was on the second row and Madison was on the third row. And so... <laughs> I'm like, Kelly, what? what's going on? She's like, the dog was looking at Madison funny. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was like, tell Charlie to stop looking at me. That's what I had that about five times. I'm like, all right, I'm done. Oh my God. Oh, I love her. Okay. So let's. I guess catch up a little more, even though we've caught up a lot. So are you sad that we're leaving? I mean, how long are you gone for? <laughs> well, I'll see you in two weeks, but yeah. Okay. So <laughs> for all my listeners, my 10 listeners out there, if anyone has anxiety, let me tell you, I apparently cannot go to the store this week without either my mom or my husband with me. Like, I went was going to go to the store and get groceries this past weekend, and I started, like, hyperventilating and was like, I can't do it. So Dustin had to go get groceries, and then I was successful in Walmart for a good 30 minutes, we were there 45 for, minutes. I don't know. We were there I don't know. But then forever. I eventually stopped. So, I mean, I guess, when am I going to see you again? <laughs> Nashville. Yeah, till Nashville. And then we're apart for a day and then we're back together for a week in yeah. Minnesota. So this is our this is Kay now is spending like two weeks together, which mm -hmm. I am so excited for. But so the next time if anyone again, um, I don't know if this will play after Weba, but Weba, we're doing presentations. So women in behavior analysis. If you can't make it to that conference this year, I highly, highly, highly suggest going next year. I get no compensation for saying that. I just absolutely <laughs> love that conference and I love the empowerment and they always have amazing keynotes. Um, it's just an amazing conference. It's always in Nashville um, and I believe it's always at the end of July, but I yeah, might, I I might not so. be wrong. Oh, yeah, I might be wrong. So then we're going to go to that. We're there for four or five days. Four. And how Four. there's 12 of us, 10 13. Of us, 13 of us, there's 13 of one us. Airbnb. Check out that team right there. How exciting. Oh uh, and then some people go home to kiss their kids and then fly <laughs> to Minneapolis, 
where we are helping to open um, an amazing center that I've been able to design and I'm so excited oh, to see cool. how it turns out. But of course, we all know I'm not a designer, so mom has to go in and make sure that it all looks amazing <laughs> before it opens. I just kind of throw, I know all the equipment put together, but not the actual aesthetics. Is that what? Yeah. It? Yeah. Um, so we do Minnesota and then I think we're apart for a while until, um, the autism law summit. <laughs> yeah. Super exciting. We get to go to Oklahoma. Yes. <laughs> so that will be fun, but yeah. that was a surprise. surprise oh, that there. is, I like that because I can travel much easier and much shorter and child free to the autism yeah, law summit. <laughs> I, well, it will be your first child free, won't it? Yeah, it will be. Yeah. So Lucas gets to go to Nashville. Yes. I'm super excited because both Huey and Cash have been to conferences with me. Cash has met Dr. Bailey and mm-hmm. Huey has, did he go to a Dr. Bailey one too? I think he went to Dr. Bailey and um, he also met Dick Malott yeah. and was in the <laughs> elevator with Patrick McGreevy when I couldn't <laughs> breathe or talk. So I'm excited for Lucas to get that experience. I can't wait. I got to start his behavioral analysis uh, hero meeting early. <laughs> yeah, I think it will be good. Well, and I can't, I'm looking forward to August 10th because I will be K now and child free in person stuff until, well, two weeks, I two guess, because I'm coming back here in August. But my husband and I were talking about because we were trying. I was trying to like get together the schedule, and apparently he was unaware that we had the grandkids until August twenty third, and he's like, "That is not going to be a winning combination at all." So in his defense, we offered for him to be on here with his rebuttals. Yeah, that he was complaining about that we always give him like we're so mean to him, and he won't. He won't talk about it, but so he's like, this was the worst trip out here. All you did was yell. All you did was scream, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Here's what happens. And <laughs> Kelly, so he's like, the navigator role is so important. And you tell me if this is true in your car too, but whoever gets to drive for the most part gets like the easiest job ever because when you're in the passenger seat, oh my God, all I do is climb in the back, get snapped. <laughs> get water didn't get the right water didn't have the temperature <laughs> set up right didn't do that I'm like I'm exhausted and I'm yes a bigger person I can't squeeze in the back anymore as easily plus I get car sick yeah so I can hang backwards you mean you can't crawl back and forth like I end up having oh to do oh my god well <laughs> it's it's like it's horrible the navigator role is horrible it's, it's it's so exhausting, and I mean, you have to know where everything is in the car because you're probably going to be asked for every single item, and then it's going to get thrown on the floor, and you have to go find it again or find something else. Yeah, it's so yeah. exhausting. I did I drove yeah. a little bit on our drive, probably I think I did about three and a half hours home and about two two and a half hours out, and those are the most peaceful times because you really there's not much you can do. If the kid screams, you just kind of let them scream and let the other person deal with it. Oh my god! So that gives me, of course, everything gives me anxiety. But being the one driving, so I did a thirteen-hour trip with my two boys and my brother, <laughs> and I love my brother, but he is a little bit of me also without children. Without children, 
But so having to boss him around in the navigating role was a more anxiety for me. So I ended up just trying to reach everything with my one hand and trying to make him take a nap. But he couldn't drive because he drives like an old man and I never would have made it home. Yeah, but it's different. <laughs> yeah, because and so I when you're when Shane was complaining about my driving, screaming, yelling trip, I'm like, that's how Brit and I travel. They're, it's the always loud. Yeah. The kids are always screaming for something. They're fighting about something. They have electronics, but then they have no internet. And it was just pure and total chaos. So now I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get back home. Oh I gosh. have a flight voucher. So I'm like, how about I just meet you? If I was the one that was making the trip so awful, you drive oh back God. with the two girls. And I don't even get to go to the bathroom alone. The best part is, okay, so if anyone has heard our episode about my alpaca story, mm-hmm. so my niece, my middle, oh, not middle, well, technically middle, mm-hmm. um, niece is, I absolutely love her. Like, I want her to come live with me full time. Um, but she saw, she, what, screamed that there was mm-hmm. a yoke. She saw a yoke. Right beside the car. It was a yoke. Mm-hmm. What was it actually? An elk. 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 Yeah. <laughs> she loves yokes. So yokes now she her- loves yokes. Yokes are her favorite. Oh, that's well, hilarious. We also decided to drive through Yellowstone, which was beautiful. Like, I definitely want to go back. We did the lower loop, which was 97 miles. Like, it, it, you probably shouldn't do it as a through drive on your way to somewhere else. If you have a destination, not a good And choice. Kelly, you were right. Old Faithful, we just drove around the parking lot. And I was like, oh, my God, I've never seen so many people in one small area. Yeah, it's crazy. The parking lot is so, so big. Oh, and there, and then I'm now understanding how the buffalo are, like, attacking the tourists. Because as we were driving out, there's, like, a little thing of trees. And there's, like, thousands of people walking around. And there's just a big bull buffalo laying in the grass. Yeah. And people are walking around him. I'm like, I don't even know if they saw him. Yeah, it's. I mean, and it's so cool because there is wildlife everywhere. But some people just don't either don't see it or don't think that. Oh, hey, maybe I shouldn't sneak up and take a picture of this wild animal. Right. Even wild horses. We had those up in Vegas, and they had colts with them, and people were going to pet the colts. And I'm like, this is not going to end well because I've been there in a pen. It doesn't end well. Like, yeah. don't touch the horse. Uh, so several years ago, I went to Yosemite. And that was my first, like, huge national park that I went to and, like, remember as an adult. And it was incredible. But before I went, I was doing all this reading prep and, like, learning about it. And I was like, oh, what are the bears like there? Like, this and that. And then I read a line that said, more people are attacked every year by deer than by bears. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, is that true? And then I started looking and there was a deer that like came out like right next to us. And I was like, oh, yep. I could see how this is very true because the deer was not afraid. They're like would walk the other way when they heard you. But yeah. yeah. Especially if it's rut and the deer think you might be possibly a female uh, deer. Female deer. <laughs> That's definitely not the time. Well, and uh. I don't know, like, so in the black, I said it's Yellowstone for me was like the Black Hills on steroid because like you can rent bear spray. I'm like, you know, I love to walk in the woods, but not hike where I have to carry or rent bear spray like that's not. Mm-mm. No, thank you. So before we jump into anything else, I do want to give a shout out to Jennifer Brett, one of our um, now 
PCABA. She just passed her PCABA test, and we're so excited that she gets to now move forward as a BCB- BCABA. Um, uh, she is one of our New Mexico team, and we're just excited. We love when so people excited for her. We do. I get so I get so excited for them, and like I feel like the sitting behind the scenes, waiting for the results. I'm like, okay, are they going to send it to me right away? Are they going to send it to me right away? I can't wait. <laughs> Well, so apparently we have the same certificate anniversary, like when we found out we passed and I told her, yeah, me and Jennifer. And I told her, I was like, well, the difference is that I had to wait literally almost two months to get my actual results. And she's like, I was in Walmart. And I'm like, all the best things happen in Walmart. (laughs) Walmart where dreams come true. (laughs) I can see her in Walmart reading the email and then being like, I'm in Walmart. What do I do? Do I do Do I check out? Like, yeah, no, it's exciting. We're excited for that. Just gives me anxiety. Every single person you're going to test. You're going to. Yeah, I have to study. So let's go Uh to class and learn something. This week's topic. We're not sure if we've talked about it yet or not. Um, I think we have. I, don't, I went through all of our episodes and did not see it. Did you listen to every single Well, I didn't listen to them. I can't listen to myself or I'll never do the podcast again. So we're going to talk about the seven dimensions of ABA, which we may have touched on. But we're going to go a little bit more in depth with the seven dimensions uh, in this podcast. So... The seven dimensions of ABA are generality, effective, technological, applied, conceptually systematic, analytic, and behavioral. So, Mom, how do you remember those? Backcage. Backcage? Yeah. So, I was taught also get a, get a cab. So, in my PhD program, I was told by one of the professors, which, huge light bulb, but was that they're put in order. So get a cab is... Well, if I'll never remember that now. Like, because Batcage is the only thing I can no. think of. So for I the know. test, you only need Batcage because you oh. only need to know the seven dimensions. Oh, okay. But if you read through them and, like, really oh, they get go technical, in. yeah. Okay. So generality, you have the skills um, or behavior that occur in the environment other than when they were ta- where they were taught. So first you have to teach the skill, pretty much and generalize it. Effective, so we have generalization where we're going to teach it, how we're going to generalize it. Effective is effective interventions are monitored to evaluate the impact of the target behavior. So now we're monitoring our interventions. Technological are (laughs) technological (laughs) procedures are designed to clearly and concisely. Oh my goodness. This is Okay, so technological procedures are described clearly and concisely, which I couldn't say that clearly and concisely, (laughs) so I don't know about that, Um, so that many others may implement them accurately. Applied is that there's socially significant behaviors that are selected. Conceptually systematic, our interventions consist with procedures demonstrated in the literature, so we have that evidence-based. Analytical decisions are data-based, so making sure we have the data that goes with them. And then behavior is observable and measurable. Behaviors are targeted. So I can see how they might build on each other. So generalization to effective interventions to describing them clearly and concisely. 
making sure our behavior is socially significant, and we read the literature. And then when we're making those decisions, they're analytic in nature um, with the database, and then behavior, making sure it's observable and measurable. So what questions, or Kelly, do you have anything to add to any of them? No, I actually think that you did a really great job um, going through them and kind of explaining them a little bit. And I have a thought, but I think I'm going to let Anissa ask her questions first about it, and then I'll kind of say my thought afterwards. Well, and I don't know if it's necessarily questions. Like, I understand why, I mean, what, what we're based on. I do feel like things get muddy. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing because when you talk about this in this way and you have these basic things that we're going to do within ABA and they're defined, but then I swear you ask someone what ABA is or what they do as a behavior analyst and they can't, you, it's hard to like put that into that yeah. like elevator pitch or whatever. So I'm like, what, what are what is wrong with how we describe or how we describe the basis of ABA that we can't readily share that out? How, why can't we generalize what we're doing as easily as we're supposed to? Yeah, I think that the elevator pitch is a good example. So um, for my PhD program, we all had to go to Chicago. And so and we all stayed pretty much at the same hotel. So we'd be on the elevators in the mornings or after our sessions and uh, someone who's not with us would ask us what we're here for. And we'd all literally look at each other like who the heck is going to yeah. try to explain this to somebody else um, and without having a 45 minute conversation about what it actually is. Well, so I agree. I think it can get muddled. I think so, too. I was going to ask, what is your elevator pitch, Britt? Um, it's so funny because I just did this on our RBT training that we're putting together. So I say ABA is or the act of manipulating environmental variables to produce behavior change. So it is changing the environment to change the behavior, not changing the individual to change the behavior. Is that? Yeah. yeah. Like that one. The first part was a little technical, technical yeah. but the second yeah. part, what, like we work on changing the environment to change the behavior. Yeah. And so do you have an elevator pitch? No, because I am not. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You're not prepared. <laughs> I, I usually, when someone asks me what I do, I usually say um, that I work with kids that have autism. That is usually like, that is it. And, yeah. and then because, yeah, no, I usually panic. And then I'm like, well, um, I'm a behavior analyst and we work with kids with autism. And that usually makes people. Fine. Okay. Sounds good. Sure. Kelly, what is your elevator pitch? Uh, so normally what I say is um, we I say that I'm a behavior analyst and I say that I look at the behavior that someone's engaging in. I look at what happens right before it and what happens right after it. And then I evaluate what might be um, maintaining that behavior, what's making it continue to happen. And then we uh, manipulate the environment to try and help that person um have less barriers or have more success in those environments. Yeah. So, and then the other thing is that I work a lot with organizations. So I'm like then explaining how you use um, ABA in organizations then is a whole other thing. Like, I think we need to 
do a Facebook or whatever, or I don't know, Instagram, I don't know, whatever, and have all of us do our elevator elevator pitch. pitch. Like, what do you do when you are actually like meeting someone and what, when they ask what you do? Cause that we do get it a lot. All the time from all different levels of people and all different experiences. Cause I feel like some people that are in the psychology field would understand it a little bit differently. And some people that are not anything to do with healthcare don't understand it. Teachers understand it differently. And, um, that's, I, so I got away from saying I just the straight, I work with children with autism because a lot of people are like, Oh, you're a teacher. And I always feel like I have so much respect for teachers, but I definitely don't have the same skills that teachers have. Yeah. The thing I do that to me is so interesting is when I do say that we work with kids with autism, that every single person I say that to is like, Oh, I have someone in my life that has autism or what, you know, or, Oh, we've had experiences with ABA or something like there's never a time when someone's like, Oh, that doesn't. I can't relate to you. Yeah. 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 Which is why it's so important that we do what we do. I think it's important. Uh, I was just thinking about this. This our employees are going to not be happy with us after this podcast because we just <laughs> we thought of some other things. I think it would be good to go, use this as a checklist in our programs. Oh, yeah. Because I, I was actually thinking about that as goals, even with a supervisee team, is just when they are starting yeah. to put together some of these bigger components of ABA is just to kind of go through as a checklist. So yeah. if I would create a checklist, generalization. So when did you program for generalization in your goals? So we have what we call working goals, which are our goals broken down into what we how we're gonna target them, mastery, short term, long term. Um, it's for those who use Central Reach, it's like a learning tree is what we do for all of our goals. So did we plan for generalization and how are you generalizing? Are are you generalizing settings, stimuli, and behaviors, or are you just generalizing settings? Because I think in generalization, people forget that there's three things that need to be generalized. And that is the environment, the stimuli, and the behaviors themselves. How would you put that in? Um, I was actually just thinking about the generalizing because uh, you think about working in home and you have the same BT assigned every single day um, and you're trying to teach just generalizing. So what are some other ways that you can get a little? Because um, we do have that a lot. Our exactly. Like, well, I'm the only one that works with them. So can you generalize it across? Is there um, other family members that are there? Or when you talk about generalizing across people? Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes through telehealth, can they... Um, respond to the instruction from somebody on telehealth. Okay. So technological. So describing clearly and concise. I mean, that goes with our behavior, uh, our elevator pitch. But one thing we do is we work with a lot of individuals who English is not their first language. So we have to break it down even further to ensure that they are understanding our or they're new, they've never heard of ABA. They have no yeah. idea. And as we've talked about, ABA is its own language. And so I also, I mean, like the first thing I could not figure out when I first started was manding. I'm like, what manned? I, 
I couldn't, I couldn't man intact for whatever reason were the two like yeah. terms that got me confused. And I'm like, finally I was like, oh, man is a dumb man. Yeah. They're asking for something. Those actually get confused a lot. Yeah. I, I experienced that. Do you, Kelly? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So like even just breaking everything down into those very normalized terms yeah. or everyday terms is yeah. huge in, in a writing our goals or our programs. Yeah, I have definitely um, modified protocols a lot as well, um, because even the format that we traditionally put it in, I feel it can be overwhelming for people who aren't as familiar with reading a protocol and all the different phases of it, because they'll see something or they'll see a fade out plan and they'll think you have to do everything on the fade out plan at once versus just the phase that we're on. And so it's really simplifying, okay, step one, step two, step three, this is what I say, and this is how I respond or the, things like that, just to really help simplify it. And as their experience grows, that's something that we can continue to grow and, and shape it to more of how we generally do it. Um, but just in that, that entry level, that beginning training stages, it's that making it simple. Yep. So, and then, okay, so the next is applied. So, so, socially significant, I can, I have a stutter today. (laughs) Socially significant behaviors are selected. So, are the behaviors socially significant? I think we run into this a lot with parents. So, I had a parent who really wanted their kid to say ma'am and sir because they're in the South, which is fine. We can teach that, but they didn't have like pronouns or they couldn't do the male versus female component of it so teaching them ma'am and sir well first that's not socially significant for them at the moment it's the precursor to the ma'am and sir so one of you actually have taught me a few things not I mean not a lot I don't want to give you that much credit and maybe it was Kelly it could have been you or Kelly I'm not sure (laughs) I don't know why you don't have if it was something right I'll take credit for it yeah no So I remember Britt, the very first, like I was talking to a parent and the parent wanted their child to, I think it was, we, we have a lot of reading and writing goals and Britt was, I, I I told her while I had a conversation with a parent and I told them that they um, wanted to read or something and I, or write, I can't remember, but the, the child was not ready because they they still didn't have all of the the things that they needed to be able to read or mm-hmm. to write read like they couldn't yeah the prerequisite could, skills they weren't yeah. able to sit at the table they weren't able yeah. to listen to a story said, yeah and I had said to the parent well we're not going to work on this goal right now and Britt's like you have to make sure that how you have those conversations with the parents is you're not like dismissing what is important to the parent. So like, even though like you're talking about like sir and ma'am might not be socially significant at that point, but eventually eventually it will be. And so how you have those conversations with parents or teachers or things like that, that these goals that you're setting for their child are important to them. And we're always working towards them. We're never going to say, oh, we're not going to work on that. When we know as a behavior analyst that the child has no, can't um, sound out words or Mm -hmm. doesn't recognize the alphabet, but you want him to read a chapter book. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're definitely going to have your child work on reading skills, but we need the prerequisites. Yeah. And so that was super helpful and never dismissing what... Like that was a really roundabout. I'm taking credit for that one. (laughs) 
And that goes back into our parent training and building rapport and um, making sure that we have compassionate ABA, not just for the kids, but for the families. So the next one is conceptually systematic. So this one, I would just say, where in the literature did you find your approach? Even if it is like the Cooper, this is how they define DRA. And so this is how I'm going to use DRA or have them find, did you find an article related to this? Something along those lines for that so conceptually it's like systematic research. Yeah. So what research did you do or why did you choose this topic or not topic, choose this intervention? Because it felt good. It made me happy. <laughs> I felt joy. Oh I hugged it. I hugged it and it, and I brought you joy. It brought me joy. And I'm like, this is it. Oh my gosh. I can't even. Okay. So analytics. So decisions are database. Oh, oh. my gosh. Let me just tell you <laughs> if any, okay. So I'm kind of a stickler on this. So I trained Kelly to anyone who's just listening for the first time. Um, and one of my favorite things to ask is where's the data? Because somebody will bring a problem behavior to me or even, um, the inability to maintain a skill. And the first thing I want to know is where's the data. And it's not because I don't believe you because I do believe (laughs) you, Maybe, but I, as a behavior analyst, can't make a decision unless I have those data. So, okay, this is the best part about me being in this field. Before I worked in education and we would have programming that we would need to do. And there was always data that we wanted to have collected. The people that had wrote the curriculum, things like that, always wanted data. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm just doing what I feel like doing. feel like doing that because it brought me joy and I would never collect data on anything. I'm like, oh, it's going to be anecdotal. The kids all look like they're having fun. That's my data. And so now every time I'm like, I wish we had data on that. Or is there a graph we can see? Or did you take ABC data? What, what happened? I'm like, I feel like, oh my gosh, this is my like payback. <laughs> For everything from the past. From yes. all I my past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My favorite too, from even not even the direct therapy standpoint, but as like a BCBA supervisor too, is when they're like, well, the client's always late. Well, where is it recorded? What time the supervisor actually arri- yeah. or the client arrives? So it's like, if we don't have it written down, we don't know. Like, yes, it seems like they're always late, but what time yeah. are they Super actually excited. Super excited. <laughs> Yes, yes. And, it's, and, and also the antecedent events or the setting events for some reason are really hard for oh, we- a lot of our texts to kind of understand. So, and this is the thing we were, we were talking about this yesterday. Um, Britt was working with a tech and she asked, they're trying to define, or they're trying to figure out what, why this function, the function of this behavior. And, um, she asked the tech, what, what did you do? And not for, what did you do before he hit his head? Yeah. And the tech panicked. Yeah. And said what he did. So I definitely didn't ask that correctly. Um, but if they're not recording what they're doing, because, and this is just an assumption, but because maybe they're afraid they're going to get in trouble for doing it. So on our like ABCs, we are literally just seeing what the client did and not what is happening. And we can't make those database decisions on that. And so having our BTs understand that it's so important that even if 
they were the ones they were playing with Legos and they touched a blue Lego. And that's what yeah. was the precursor or what was antecedent that it's not wrong. It's just that that has to be recorded so that we know, Oh, it was um, like, that was probably a denial, right? Because they got something taken away from them. Yeah. Or- so he's a function flipper. <laughs> He's a flipper. I don't. I can't have him. Nope. No, thank you. I can barely identify one function. I can't have flippers. He's also dual functions at one time. So I am trying to use the Hanley method on addressing all functions at once. So it's interesting to try to. But we have to have the data. Yeah. Because you can't decide on a program or what the interventions are going to be without the data that the BTs are in session collecting. Yeah. So important. Well, and I think that leads us into our last one, which is behavior and making sure it's observable and measurable. Um, one thing I tell joy. my... I feel joy. I do not. Not joy. No joy. Uh, one, happy. one thing that I have my... Tell my supervisees is have another person. So have a colleague read their behavior definitions um, (laughs) and see if they can identify them without any training because we need that observable and measurable behavior that's being tracked. That is hard. It is. I wanted to, I always remember my very first protocol that I wrote when I started out um, in my coursework. I will never forget it. Um, If it didn't have HIPAA all over it, I would have framed it on my wall. Um, (laughs) I was so proud of my protocol. I spent so much time in it, so proud, and I gave it to Britt to review. And I don't think there was any white space on that paper. It was all red ink for all the edits I needed to make. You read Okay. She read inked it, yeah. I get that from my mom. Not red ink. No, I don't red ink anyone. So, okay. So Brit's drive is because there was a... Not my only drive. Well, not your only drive, but there was a lady that was um, a director in our 4-H program. And she was a red ink lady. And you would give her a paper. Like when I worked, she came back for like a month when I was working there. And she would red ink everything. I can't believe you used red ink. It was when I was young. I was young. I would use so she was. It's um so I I was like I'm still six seven years later still in the field. So I mean I've been in the field longer than that, but that was like the very beginning of my coursework. I'm still in the field. She didn't crush me to leave the field. I'm actually still working with her too, so she didn't ruin our relationship. Um, by choice. By, by choice. choice, yeah. Um <laughs> no, I overall I mean I'm even more proud of the protocol that came out of that because that thing was amazing. And it was for a client that was very challenging. So we need, did need to make it very thorough. Um, I didn't expect that much red ink all over it though, but I am thankful because I learned a lot and oh my gosh, the, now I always tell all my supervisees that story too, because they're like, I thought I did a really good job. And then you changed everything. (laughs) So how did she deliver it when she gave it back to you? I just handed it to her. Yeah. She handed it to me. It's the, <laughs> I think eventually we went over it. I had her do corrections yeah. and then we went over it. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. You know, so you know your daughter. I, you know how she I is. Know exactly how she delivered it. <laughs> I'm well aware. Uh, here, fix this and get it back to me by five yeah. o'clock. Um, so the funny part is when people like think that she might be a little straightforward now, I'm like, oh my God, you have no idea where she no. came from. <laughs> 
yeah, it's to the point. My other thing that I do when I'm training, I'm a little bit of, I'm a lot softer training now than I used to be, was uh, we were in a session at the clinic and one of our techs were training and something happened. I don't even know what happened, but she just looked at me and I could tell she was waiting for me to tell her what to do. And I just looked at her and said, so what are you going to do now? Or what are you going to do about it? And mm-hmm. she, to this day, tells that story. So oh, yeah. I'll never do that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So we kind of went over everything for that layman's term. And, and we created a job for Katie. Because you did. know when we're talking about we, we want something <laughs> created, that it really is Katie. Yes. So, Seth, if you're listening, can you let Katie know we had a to-do list for her? <laughs> That would be perfect. Because <laughs> we came up with a great idea. Katie, great idea. Well, we did it. We did it. <laughs> she loved me, loved me, loved me, loved me, loved She loved me like nobody else. So now it's time to score me. So one is I will find a different teacher. Two is you didn't yell at me. Three, it could go either way. Four, good thing I taught you well. And five, I love learning from my daughter. Okay, I'm going to give you a four. Not even a 4.5. Maybe like a 4.25. See, Kelly, this is where I get it. Tough critic right there. (laughs) I think it was a very good discussion. If we, I still feel like we've already talked about it, but I do feel like talking about it at the beginning of when I started my coursework versus talking about it when you're at the end of your coursework is very different. Like it means something you get thrown all these terms at you and all of this stuff. And if you're not currently working in the field, I can only imagine how hard it would your be. coursework would be. Yeah. So it was good discussion. Okay. Good job, Britt. Thank you. So um, before we wrap up, I want to tell everyone we are doing a free CEU on Wednesday, July 13th at 12, <laughs> 12 Central Standard Time. It is on cultural... <laughs> Uh, responsiveness and ABA programming. So make sure that um, I think this will, you'll hear this the day of. So (laughs) if you have time, that would be great. So that wraps it up for another episode of teaching my mother ABA. Head over to our Facebook and Instagram at knowledge.now.solutions and check out all the events we have going on. Don't forget to stop and see us at Weba. Thank you to KNOW Behavioral Solutions for sponsoring Teaching My Mother ABA. Pretty easy podcast for making us sound so good. And Kelly and Lucas for joining us. And remember, it's all (laughs) fun and games until you have to teach your mother ABA. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah.